1: Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. In honor of National Physical Therapy Month, this October we're talking to individuals whose lives have been improved by physical therapy. And today's story is one you won't soon forget. In July of 2011, Linda Conklin broke both the tibia and fibula of her left leg in a freak water skiing accident after the handle of her daughter's rope snagged the tip of Linda's ski. The damage was devastating. The only thing keeping Linda's foot attached to her leg was her Achilles tendon. And so was the news doctors soon gave her husband. Amputation was almost certain. Incredibly, a surgeon was able to save Linda's foot, but her road to recovery was just beginning. In today's episode, Linda Conklin and her physical therapist Patrick Chapman of Naperville, Illinois, take us through her challenging rehabilitation and her miraculous recovery, both of which are still ongoing. Here's our interview with Linda and Pat. Linda, your experience with physical therapy began with a day spent two years ago water skiing in Virginia. Can you take me back to that day and describe what happened?
0: Uh, yes, I was uh, tandem water skiing with my daughter, who was relatively inexperienced. And I hadn't skied in a while either, but I'd skied all my young adult life. And she kept falling and falling. So for the third time, they just let me ski a little bit, so I were going to go turn the boat around and come back and pick her up. Well, as they turned the boat, all of a sudden, it's like a baseball bat hit my shin. It hurt so bad, I fell I look and my bones are through my skin, my tib and fib. The people in the boat didn't know what's going on either. They thought I had just fallen and I'm screaming, help me, help me. And then they see my bones just from the sun reflection shining. And so my son-in-law and my nephew jumped in and saw my foot just hanging off. And I was so concerned that, oh, my gosh, I was telling him, just try to save my foot. Give me the boat. Let's try to get some tourniquets. Make it as tight as you can. Don't worry about hurting me. Meantime, the uh, participants in the boat were calling 911. And Smith Mountain Lake, it's uh, 32 square miles. It's, it's a big lake. So my sister-in-law, who was driving the boat, pulled into the closest dock. They successfully got me off the boat trying to stabilize me. Not long after that, the ambulance did arrive, and they had me stabilized. The person's dock we had actually gone to, he happened to be an orthopedic surgeon, and he had come down to look and saw that the ambulance crew had set me up correctly and, and I looked good. My husband, who was not on the boat, came to that dock and was talking to that orthopedic surgeon and told my husband, your wife is severely injured, they have everything under control, but make sure she gets to Roanoke Memorial Hospital. Well, the ambulance people thought my injury was too severe for them to transport me, so they suggested I get airlifted. So they took me to a helipad, and I was airlifted to Roanoke Memorial Hospital. And they were great. I'm assuming I was in shock because I'm telling them my pain level was a 7. The nurse on board was great. She was explaining to me, and they were giving me painkillers through IV at that point, what was going to be like when I arrived at the trauma center, what to expect. You know, don't be alarmed. This is normal procedures. So it was exactly what she said. She said it's like on TV when you you see somebody going into a trauma center. Everybody's hovering over you, doing this, doing that. And they did some, you know, other tests on me and some MRIs and some CAT scans. And my husband arrived by that time, and apparently the doctor on duty, this was a Sunday evening, said, it looks like we're going to have to amputate your wife's foot. And my husband says, oh, gosh, is there somebody you can call? My wife's a personal trainer. She's a marathon runner. This would just destroy her life. So he says, well, we have a Dr. Schuler that is the head of orthopedic. He was getting ready to leave on vacation that, that week. He says, let me call him in. So he did come in, and he uh, told my husband i I think I can save your wife's foot, but you have to be willing to stay here for 30 days. My husband said, we'll do anything. So that first night, Sunday night, because I was not a lake, they were afraid of infection. So they washed it all out and did an external fixation on that Sunday night. And that's when it started. It was the first of my four surgeries within six days. That Tuesday, they washed it out again and were able to put rods and plates in. Thursday, they did an arteriogram to check my blood flow. That was actually good. On Saturday, they were able to do a skin graft, which was about a five-and-a-half-hour surgery and a muscle transplant. Following that, I went into intensive care for four days to make sure that it was going to work. So about every hour, they would come in and listen for the heartbeat. So you can imagine how I felt if this wasn't going to work. Every every time they'd come in the room, I would just pray that they would hear a heartbeat with the stethoscope, and they would turn it up loud so I could hear it too. So uh, that's how it started.
1: So to go back, you know, that this happened, I guess, because the rope got wrapped around your leg. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, it
0: did. Well, the sheriff had come in, you know, they, they, they investigate this. The sheriff had come in the room the next day, and he brought the handle of my daughter's rope that was just bent totally in half. What had happened was her handle had gone around my left ski, and when they turned the boat, it just snapped my leg. Nobody knew it on the boat. I didn't know it. The water splashing all around, nobody could see this. And if you've ever water skied before, that handle only fits exactly over that ski. I mean, if you tried to do that, you probably couldn't. So it was it was a freak accident.
1: So do you have these exposed bones protruding through your leg? You get rushed to the hospital. All, all this is happening. Your your pain level, miraculously, is only a 7. That's crazy. So this happens. You mentioned the conversation with your husband. How aware were you at that time of how close you were to losing your foot?
0: I did not know it. He did not tell me that part. Nobody told me that part.
1: I mean, sitting there, lying there, did you worry that that was well, possible? Well, when did they you... were
0: doing the scratch test to see if I had any feeling, and I really didn't. And my main concern when my son-in-law and nephew pulled me out is, please try to save my foot, don't worry about my broken bone. That thought did go through my mind, absolutely. But then you think, oh, gosh, with modern medicine, I'm sure they can put me back together. I mean, these are all things that are rolling through my mind very quickly. So I was just hoping and praying for the best at that point.
1: Through those initial surgeries as you're lying there, as you're hoping to, to hear that pulse when they do the test there, what did you think was realistic for you in your recovery at that point? I mean, I'm sure you were hopeful for the best, but what did you really think was realistic?
0: At that point, they hadn't talked about what I would be able to do afterwards if everything was successful. Later on, once they found everything turned out the way that the doctor expected it to turn out, he had some long conversations with me. This Dr. Shula was amazing, and he was a triathlete. He was an athlete, and so he knew what I'd be going through. And he had a long talk about how running puts eight times the weight on your joints as any other exercise, that more than likely I'd always walk with a limp. So running would probably be out of the question because, you know, I would get other problems if I tried to run and I was limping. So he tried to encourage me to start biking and doing the elliptical and and continuing lifting when I would be able to. It was going to be a long road, he said. It's a long road to recovery, and it's not going to be easy. And, you know, I'm always willing to take that type of challenge to get better. But I really never thought I would run again just based on our conversations with him. But he really did set the stage.
1: Previous to your accident, you know, how important was running to you?
0: Oh, my gosh, I'd run marathons. You know, I'm a personal trainer, so it's a big part of my life. I, you know, I do, I run marathons. I also spend a lot of time strength training. I mean, the gym was a big part of my life. So taking that away would have kind of crushed me. I mean, I would have done other things to do, but I really enjoyed those type of things, and I did them with my girlfriends. I did it with my kids. So, like I said, it was a big part of my life.
1: So take me back to the transition point. At, at what point do you go from feeling confident, okay, that they've saved my foot, but now you need to learn to start walking on it again. Now you need to learn to start start moving with it again. How soon did therapy begin?
0: My accident was July 31st. I actually got home back to Illinois on Friday, August 26th. So for 30 days, I had to have my leg elevated. They had to change my wound bandages because I had a donor site that is just like road rash. I mean, it's just They take It's like a cheese slice where they slice off that part of your leg to make your graft. So not only do I have my graft that has to heal, my donor site had to heal as well. So my leg was always elevated. I couldn't get up. If I had to go to the bathroom in the hospital, I'd have to call somebody for them to hold my leg up so I could scoot over to use the bedside toilet as well. My head, they didn't want my head up any higher than 20 degrees. So I was very limited for almost 30 days of what I could and couldn't do. Couldn't wash my hair. My hair had been on lake. It was still all just lake water. It was kind of a mess. I'd lost my appetite because of all the medication I was taking. And they took turns staying with me. My husband and my kids would come and stay. And they would sit every four hours to make sure I had my medication because you never want to get to the point where it's painful and it's hard to recover from that pain. And I also had to get a shot every day in my stomach so I wouldn't get blood clots, so that was part of the daily routine as well. So, like I said, that went on for almost 30 days. I got home on a Friday, which I believe was about August 26th, and I saw Pat Chapman that Monday, the 29th, I started therapy. Now, I've got a boot on, and I'm walking crutches. I can't wait there at this point. So that's where my journey started with Pat on that Monday.
1: So, Pat, take me through, what are your first impressions?
2: Well, I mean she had extensive damage and you know, she had the grafts to worry about, so there was a concern over the swelling that she had, not weight bearing on it so that she could mend. You know, she had had substantial fractures and fixation. And, you know, really the initial presentation was, you know, a little bit overwhelming because you know, we were worried at that point about, you know, whether the graft would stay viable and and making sure that, that she got good blood flow to that area and at the same time she was very swollen and she was developing a lot of scar tissue and so to get the range of motion and mobility back in her foot and ankle, we needed to start working on it, but at the same time, you've got to balance that with not disrupting the graft and muscle donors. So it was a lot of initial evaluation by looking and seeing you know, what tissue mobility that she had, and then also the realization that we were going to have to communicate with her surgeons pretty quickly because you know we needed to talk with them about what their concerns were with the graft and what her limitations were. So it was a, a humbling first visit because, you know, we're, we're not used to seeing that type of injury. I don't think many are, you know, regularly. So what were the initial goals then? Well, the initial goals at that time were to get her swelling down, get her tissue mobility starting to move a little bit better because it was all pretty anchored down and swollen. So really the tissue couldn't move very well and she didn't have much joint mobility in the ankle at all. And she was going to need at least to be able to get to neutral just to be able to bear weight on it. And so the initial goals were just to try to get her range of motion back to a neutral, you know, zero degrees, and then see how we progress from there. And how do you do that? Take me through that.
1: How intensive and intensive are those initial therapies?
2: initially you're trying to work on decreasing swelling and you use a lot of different massage techniques to try to decrease the fluid retention in that area and at the same time you want to make sure that you're debriding any dead skin and dead tissue while not disrupting you know any of the donor tissue and then you work on just light joint mobilization to start getting some mobility back in the joints of the foot and ankle. At first you work around the graft site so we did work with the knee and the foot and toes and that because they had all become quite swollen as well and then gradually work more towards the area of the ankle that was affected.
1: So how long does it take to go from that sort of initial treatment, almost responding to the trauma, to working towards something more substantial like walking?
2: Well, a lot of that depends on the patient. I mean, we were very fortunate because Linda's a very motivated person, and she tolerates pain quite quite well. So we were able to push her into that pain limit more than we can most, and she was able to recover in between sessions, and she's very much a participant in a rehab. So once we were able to tell her what she needed to do for her part, she was eager to get started on on trying to move it and try to gain some function in the ankle. And then after that, we were able to see how her progression was over the first few sessions and start setting up some short and long-term goals because Linda's very goal-oriented and very good about achieving her goals and overcoming those obstacles. So, you know, really for her, it took a couple of weeks to finally get to where she was walking. Her weight-bearing was progressed, but each time she was seeing some progress there. So, you know, that was encouraging.
1: Linda, as you look back on that initial therapy, obviously as a personal trainer, that in and of itself, you're familiar with setting goals, running yeah. marathons. That's obviously you have a plan. You, most people do and, and they follow it. So, you're familiar there.
2: What was hardest
1: for you? Was it the physical exertion? Was it the pain? Was it the patience? Was it believing that this will get better? What what was the hardest part of that?
0: My first goal, obviously, was to walk. And I remember my daughter transporting me over to physical therapy because I couldn't drive and I had to lie down in the back seat because I still had my boot on and I couldn't bend it. I would just see people walking down the street. And I'd be so envious, like, oh, my God, if I only I could walk, if only I could walk. The first experiences in physical therapy, the first week or two when Pat was trying to get the swelling out, was probably the most painful thing that I've ever gone through. It was worse than any marathon I could run, and also the therapy I did on my own at home. If, if Pat told me to stand on my head for for 30 minutes, I would have done it. I did everything possible to get the swelling out, to get my joints moving, and sometimes I'd be working so hard, I'd be standing there asking when I had to point or flex my foot, it would only hardly be visible moving. So I'd ask her, is my foot moving? Because I'm trying so hard to make it move, and it's moving in such a small amount that I'm not even noticing it. But I'm just like working so hard to sweat. So I knew it was going to be a really long, hard road ahead of me, but each day I would see a little more progress. I could move it a little bit more. So I'd always be encouraged so that I would set goals. I remember when Pat put me on the bike for the first time, I was so excited that I could actually pedal the bike around that my daughter was taking pictures of me and sending it to my marathon friends and my family. I said, look, she's riding the bike. So just baby steps. I I had to to let myself know in my mind that this wasn't going to be easy and it was going to take a long time, but if I did everything I was supposed to do, I possibly could get back into running. I think Pat felt confident if I could get the flexibility back in my ankle and my knee tracking correctly, there was a potential that I would be able to run again. So I always kept that in the back of my mind as an incentive for just to work as hard as I could.
1: Pat, obviously this is an extreme physical transformation, but it's an emotional journey as well. How do you coach somebody like Linda through that? How do you manage her expectations? How do you keep her when she can't tell if her foot is moving despite sweating through the effort? How do you manage a patient through that?
2: Well, first of all, Linda is an exceptional patient because she's so goal-oriented and she's such a hard worker that you don't have to motivate her a lot. Once you're able to set up goals and she's trying to achieve those, she's really a self-motivator, a self-starter. But I think setting up goals is essential because, like Linda said, you know, there are a lot of times where she was moving just an incremental amount, but the day before she wasn't moving at all. And so she was able to build on that and keep pushing it and pushing it. And despite it being painful, by seeing those small achievements, she was able to build on it. There are some people that either they're hurt or they're all the way better. They don't see the in-between, and you have to kind of lead them down that path of setting the small goals. You know, if we had just said, okay, you know, our next goal is to walk, all that time that she wasn't able to move that ankle, it would have been even harder for her because we wanted to be able to get range of motion back, get swelling down, get, you know, we had our goals that were leading up to eventually being able to walk. And the reality is is in this type of situation, you know, you start out just being thankful that... The foot was saved, you know, and she still has the foot and ankle with her. And then, of course, you want her to be able to stand up on it, and then you want to be able to walk. And so, you know, the goal of eventually being able to run, it, it's a nice goal eventually, but at the same time, that early in the rehab, you just want some function. And yet, I don't think either of us really doubted that if there was a chance of her running, she was going to do it because she, she's just that type of exceptional individual. We knew that if there was a chance for recovery, she was going to get there. She wasn't going to let it overcome her.
1: Here you're dealing with somebody who running is so important. And I mean, as you look back, at what point did you guys have your first serious conversation about running? Not in terms of, oh, maybe someday, but no, this is a goal now. This is something we think is possible. How long did it take to get there?
0: I can remember my accident was in July. I went to visit my daughter in April, and I was actually starting to run a little bit on the treadmill. And I'm talking very slow. So Most people would probably be walking faster than I was trying to, to jog. It was so painful because I was breaking up all the scar tissue. I would almost, honest to God, would be in tears as I was running. But as long as I was checking my form, if that was correct, Pat said I could keep trying it. So my husband videotaped me while I was running on my daughter's treadmill. Of course, we sent that out to everybody. And showed Pat when I got back, and he says, that's not too bad. You know, there's some things we need to work on. But that's how I started. So I, I couldn't run outside, obviously, because... The treadmill was a much easier fit for me at that time. I, I could walk, I could jog, and the surface is obviously a, a lot better for me. So, like I said, I'd be on the treadmill like tears would be running down my eyes at the gym, and I'm sure people were like, what is wrong with her? But I knew if I was going to accomplish this, this is what I'm going to have to go through. And I, worked, I kept working on my form, and I kept building up my the time that I could spend on the treadmill, and eventually it would get less painful, and then I could go a little bit longer, and eventually I could increase the speed a little bit. So those were just my mini goals for my running. And I would mix it up with biking and doing the elliptical. That would be thoroughly warmed up before I'd even get on the treadmill to attempt it.
1: Was there a point for you at which it switched from, I think maybe I can do this, to knowing, yes, this is going to happen?
0: Well, I'll tell you what my goal was. My brother-in-law died of colon cancer at age 42, and his son was one of the ones that pulled me out of the water, and that was one of the reasons why we were at Smith Mountain Lake, because that's where their family went every year to spend their vacation. And there were 17 family members that went to Smith Mountain Lake to be with his wife and his kids for memories. There's a colon cancer run in New Jersey that we all signed up to do. And the year before I had done it, I got first place. So my goal was to do that colon cancer run, and that was in July. So that would have been almost one year. It's three miles to 5K. And I could run three miles, and it was slow, but you know I was doing it, and yeah, it was painful, but not nearly as painful as it was initially. So very nervous about doing it. Got there, did it. I mean, I always had to wear compression stocking because of the swelling, and I only did it in one minute slower than I did the previous year, and I got second in my age category. So I was so excited. They did they did a little story on me there and took pictures and. So that really got me started. Like, oh, wow, this is great. I, I can do this. And, you know, you know, I have a few setbacks now and then where my knee wouldn't track or my ankle would get locked. And I still would have to continue to come and see Pat. Like, oh, Pat, my ankle's locked up. Can, you know, so he'd work on me and get that going again. And I'd be back to the running. So the 5K was my first
2: initial run.
1: So, Pat, when you think back to the first time you saw Linda, how much have you thought, yeah, in 11 months, maybe 5K?
2: Yeah, probably wasn't even a consideration back then. And in fact, I think that as she started to walk and the limp became, you know, less discernible, you know, on her good days, you started thinking, you know, maybe she can get back to running. It's not the best idea because as her surgeon told her straight out in the hospital that it's going to increase your weight bearing on that, the impact to eight times your body weight. But she was so determined there wasn't really anything that was going to hold her back. And I remember going to an active release course, active release technique course, which is a soft tissue technique down in St. Louis. And I'm surrounded by, now active release techniques is a kind of the official provider for for U.S. triathlon and a lot of the marathon, the big national marathons. And so I'm working with a group of people who's used to working with people like Linda in her marathon days. And and I remember talking to him, just saying, listen, I've got this patient that we've got her walking. She's got a lot of a range of motion back, but we need to take it to the next level. And, and I need some help. I need some other answers that I, you know, that I don't have in my toolbox right now. And I remember Mike Leahy, who developed the active release technique, sitting down with me with a whole crew of their instructors. And I went through and told Linda's story pretty much from start to finish, took them along the way, everything we had done, all the things that had worked, all the stuff that was painful. And they just problem solved with, well, we need to try this. I mean, almost like they took her on as their patient like we need to do this and this and this and you know try to get her back running because they're all those guys are triathletes and marathon runners and so they know that love of running and so i have to say i came back from that course energized that like you know what i've got some other tools in my uh, toolbox to try to help Linda out and unfortunately a lot of those because we were tearing up scar tissue and that were painful but they were successful in helping us get a little bit more mobility than we had before so i'm really indebted to my associates with active release for kind of helping me with some ideas to help her further along so Linda we're a little over two years now removed from your accident
1: where are you today what can you do now
0: two weeks ago I ran 10.63 miles with another therapist in the clinic that's training for a marathon you know my typical run would be five or six miles but she says look I have a 10 mile run on Saturday do you think you could do that I said gosh Steph I don't know let me ask Pat Pat goes "Eh, give it a try maybe see you in the clinic on Monday so I was really nervous because the most I'd run at that point was five miles and none of it's pain-free I'm going to be honest with that. So once I get moving, it's a lot better. It's the first mile that's the most excruciating. Once I get going, it's not so bad. So I met her at 6 in the morning on that Saturday, and we had cell phones in case I couldn't make it. I was going to call my husband to pick me up, and we ran. She goes, how are you feeling? After 5, I said, I'm feeling great. You know, at 6, how you feeling? I'm feeling great. We ended up that day running a 10.63 because she had taken a bathroom break, so we kind of went off our course a little bit. So she goes, oh, my God, we did 10.63. I said, oh, I was so excited. You don't even know it. I'm, like, texting everybody. I'm calling every. I mean, it was just like, guess what I did today? So excited. So now I'm scaring everybody because I think now I want to run a marathon again. So, I talked about it with my family. I think our goal is to try to do that Disney Princess half marathon as a family. So that's going to be my next goal.
1: And yeah, when is that?
0: That's actually in February, but we're not going to do it this February because my daughter's getting married next year, so we wouldn't be practical. So that'll be 2015 probably. But, you know, I'll still probably run. I can do some local ones around here as well. But that is a family and for them to see what I can do. Because they almost get as excited as I do about my accomplishment, because they saw what I went through, and they all participated in taking care of me. So they knew that this was my goal, and they are so excited for me. So now my job is to, I'm going to help run the last six miles of the Chicago with one of my girlfriends and I'm running with the other therapists here the last six miles of another marathon. So I'm I'm like the marathon helper right now, just to get people through that last bit.
1: You're the marathon whisperer, I believe.
0: I guess, yeah, exactly. You
1: know, you've talked about your family, obviously, from staying in the hospital with you to sending pictures and video to your friends as you had your various breakthroughs along the way to running with you now or setting goals for the future. How much has their support meant to you as you've gone through all of this?
0: Oh, my gosh. You just don't know what your family and friends mean to you to have something serious happen to you. Everybody pitched in. When my husband travels a lot, my neighbors would bring me dinner. They would come over and help me out, bring me lunch, go to the grocery store for me when I you know, couldn't drive, always checking on me. And what had happened, though, I had lost a lot, normally 105 pounds, by being immobilized for those 30 days. I got down to 82 pounds. I totally atrophied. I didn't have an appetite. So gaining weight back was also a priority for me, but it was really hard. People were mailing me chocolate cake in the mail. They were doing chocolate-covered strawberries, cases of wine. I mean, my mother-in-law would be baking me all these cookies, sending me. So everybody was just so supportive in every aspect. My husband would send out an email once a week to all our family and friends, and there's probably a list of 75 people on this list updating my progress because i'm not a big facebook person so he would do it through email and he went to the naval academy just had his 35th reunion two weeks ago and people like how are you doing this is great you know i can't believe you're running you know you're in much better shape than i am so that part has been fabulous that everybody reached out and and knew what my life was like before and was so excited that i'm pretty much back to normal
1: Pat, you've mentioned it along the way. Obviously, this is a huge triumph and, and shows what's possible through physical therapy, but you've focused so much of at the attention on how Linda approached the therapy and how determined she was. Just how important is that and how extraordinary is this situation?
2: It's very extraordinary, I think there's a lot of people that something like this happens and they become kind of victimized, you know, that something was taken away from them, and I think a lot of times become defeated, and it's a huge challenge for them to try to overcome that, and we try to help them with that, but Linda has such a drive and is so determined that it really is hard not to share in that. You know, as her therapist, there are some days where I'm looking at the foot and ankle going, man, this does not look good. You know, it is not going well today. It's not been a good week, and she's pushing so hard to try to get back, you know that you have to be committed to trying to solve whatever problems that you need to in order to keep her moving in the right direction. And so she is a unique patient. She's an exceptional lady, and and she works probably harder than any patient that I've ever had. And I think credit for her success continues to be ongoing with her dedication toward being fit and continuing to work hard despite having pain. She's not pain-free, but yet she works through it, and she continues to have phenomenal drive. So it's easy to work with a patient like that. And they make a therapist look good, too. Pat
0: doesn't give himself enough credit because without him, I honest to God, would not be where I am today. He was so encouraging. He's so professional. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he will find answers if he doesn't know the answers. His manual therapy was very painful, but it worked, and people drive an hour just to come see him. He is the miracle worker in our area. His reputation is just unbelievable. I cannot say enough things about him. Anybody that needs therapy, I say you got to go see Pat Chapman. So even though he is not bragging about himself, I am bragging about him because, you know, I had to work hard too. But without his help, without his encouragement and pushing me, I think I would be walking with a lump. So I would like to say thanks to Pat
1: myself. Pat, Linda, congratulations to both of you, first of all. You know, tremendous story, and, and thanks for sharing it with us. Thanks no, a lot. Thank you. To hear more patient stories like this one, subscribe to this show on iTunes and follow us at MoveForwardPT on Twitter and Facebook. A final reminder that Linda's story may not be indicative of all physical therapy experiences. and input from our guests is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about National Physical Therapy Month and treatment by a physical therapist at MoveForwardPT.com. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.